Grace and per- grace be grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning our text, our sermon lesson, is based on Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. I'd like to reread a few of those verses for you, beginning with verse 42. As Jesus calls his disciples together, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So far the words of our past. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. You probably have met some people who know how to get what they want. In some ways we might envy those people because they can be so convincing. They have a way with words, maybe charismatic would be another way to describe them. But in the end, it's that they know how to achieve their goal or get what they want. Maybe that doesn't always come off with the most positive connotation either, though. Because another word would be manipulative. I think of little children. Little children have a way of getting what they want. They don't have to be devious. They don't have to be sneaky, although some are very good at that, too. But you know what their modus operandi is? You know how they get what they want? They ask. I remember a little girl one time who came to me. And she says, it's probably pretty indicting when I say it this way, Daddy, (laughs) I want you to give me whatever I ask for. You have to promise that you'll do it for me. I'm going to ask you for something, Daddy, but you've got to say yes. How do you say no to that? Well, I suppose you could, but I don't know what it is when a little child asks you that way, but there's something endearing about that. The honesty that they come across with, and maybe just the directness, the confidence that, Daddy, I know that you're going to come (coughs) to me because I know you love me and I love you too. Yes, they have a way. Call it confidence. Call it indiscretion. But coming from a little child, it can be really cute. How would you respond, though, if somebody else, not a little child, but say a teenager, came to you and says, I'm going to ask you for something, and I expect you to say yes. Nothing against teenagers. How about an adult? Would you be inclined to comply with their requests? Would you be willing to say, sure, whatever you ask for? For some reason, it doesn't come off as cute anymore. It comes off as almost rude, very selfish, very thoughtless. Why should I say yes to you for whatever you ask, not knowing what you're going to ask for? People reach a certain age, and we expect uh, a little bit more tact, a little bit more discretion in the requests. Otherwise, again, it comes off as rude or naive. 
I think in these terms, as I look at the two disciples in our text who come to Jesus with their request, and that's really basically what they say to him. James and John, for whatever reason, decide to go to Jesus privately. Grown men who basically say to Jesus, hey, we've been thinking, Jesus, and we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's word for word from verse 35. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus humors the request, and he says, okay, well, what do you want to ask me for? What, what do you want me to do for you? Mark doesn't mention it in his account. You didn't hear that just now, but Matthew, if you look at the parallel account, he clues us into another tidbit of information regarding the request, which makes this seem even more ridiculous. Matthew tells us that James and John, these grown men, have their mother come to Jesus and make that request for them. In Matthew, he said, she says to Jesus, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, I know that mothers have a lot of pull. And maybe, just maybe, it seemed a little bit less ridiculous for her to ask for her sons. I don't think so. I think it seems even more ridiculous. But what's really ridiculous is Jesus is, is that Jesus just finished explaining to his disciples why they're going to Jerusalem. It's not to lay claim to any political kingdom or some social throne. Jesus tells them very clearly, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. If you just hear that this is what Jesus is planning to do in Jerusalem, it sure doesn't sound like he's taking applications for positions of glory and honor right now. Not a position of honor and glory in an earthly, personal kingdom. Jesus tells him, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink? Are you ready and willing to face that flood of agony and death that is the cross? Are you ready and willing to lay down your lives, to literally go through hell to pay for the sins of the world? Are you, can you do that? You know what the disciples say? Sure, we can do that. I don't think they really understand what that cup of suffering entailed. Because if they did, they would want no part of that. Jesus says, you will share in that. You will share in that cup. He says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. We know that that's not to the degree that Jesus experiences that suffering and death and hell on the cross. Thank God we don't ever have to go through that. And yet, disciples of Jesus, every one of them, including you, drinks from that cup of suffering and death. We drink from that cup when we struggle, when we suffer, to trust in His promise of love and eternal glory. Eternal glory, not right now. But that means waiting and trusting. We struggle to leave our lives 
in God's hands. And every fiber of our body is telling us, you need to take control. You need to do this, and you need to fix that. Not let God be in control. That simple nature in us wants a place of honor and glory right now. Not rejection or persecution. It demands a life of convenience and comfort. Not suffering in any way, not having to drown our sinful nature in daily repentance. And that sinful nature suffers. It drinks that cup of suffering. When it struggles with that thought, that you're not here to just please one person, you, but you're here to serve others. It hates that thought. And if following Jesus means having to drink that kind of a cup of suffering, instead of seeking my personal comfort, my simple nature says, no thanks, I, I'll find my own way. I'll find something else to drink. But whatever that other way might be that people choose, it does not lead to God. It does not lead you home. It won't lead you any closer to God's kingdom, but away from it. And Jesus tells us, you will drink that cup. But think of it this way. Remember that you drink of this cup only after Jesus has swallowed every drop of that suffering and death that was required to pay for our salvation. Every drop of suffering that we deserve for our selfishness and our cowardice, for our failure to trust and follow him without reservation. And because Jesus has finished that cup of suffering and death, he pours out his forgiveness and his strength into our hearts. You know how he does that? He does that through his own body and blood in the Lord's Supper. He does that through the water and the word of holy baptism. Washing away your sins so that now you are able to drown your sinful nature every single day. And your new self is able to rise up and to live and to serve God. Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you? And now, you can boldly respond. Let me drink that cup of suffering. And you know the blessings that he promises, the blessings that he offers, and the eternal glory that awaits you. That eternal glory can seem like a long ways off sometimes. James and John, the two disciples in our text, obviously they're not really willing to wait that long. They're looking for something more immediate. They're a bit impulsive too. What do you expect when your nickname is the Sons of Thunder? So they asked Jesus for these positions of honor and glory in his kingdom. It doesn't take long for the other disciples to find out that James and John went behind our backs. And they tried to get this for themselves. Well, at first, maybe they thought it was some kind of a joke. Maybe they make a joke out of it. You guys actually ask your mother to ask Jesus for you? But the more they think about this, they realize this was really selfish. Mark tells us that they became indignant with James and John. What makes them think they're so special that they could come to Jesus with like this, asking for those places? Then again, 
Maybe the disciples are so indignant because James and John beat him to the punch. Because they didn't think of it first. The truth is, they all need an attitude adjustment. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus is saying greatness in God's kingdom is not about selfish ambition, but rather it's about self-sacrifice in service to others. To the rest of the world, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Jesus illustrates that very point by describing all those secular positions of leadership and what their positions entail, how they are able to control and tell other people what to do. The goal, in other words, is to rule the roost. It is to be the one in charge calling the shots, and maybe even in that process, feeding one's own ego. Not so with you, fellow servants. In God's kingdom, greatness is not measured by prestige, power, or influence. It actually looks more like a servant's job description. It looks like Jesus. Jesus, in his word, shows us what that job description is like, where the Almighty Son of God has every right to expect his creatures to wait on him hand and foot. He has every right to sit over them and lord it over them. But instead, what does he do? That Almighty Son of God becomes a part of his creation. He lives under God's perfect law that law that also condemns sinners. And then Jesus dies as one of the worst of lawbreakers to redeem us and his fallen creation. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You've seen Jesus at his servant's best, kneeling there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with sweat like drops of blood as he experiences the stress and burden of facing his Father's wrath for the sins of the world, the sins that we offered him. You've seen him praying for his disciples and even for those who want him dead, who reject him and hate him. His greatest ambition is not to serve himself, but to serve others and to secure a place for us in heaven. And now Jesus comes to you and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And before that selfish, sinful nature can jump up and say, hey, I'll tell you what I want, Jesus. Remember the one who is asking. Remember the one who gave his life for you and who paid that full price for your sins. Remember the one who is giving you now the opportunity to answer that question each and every day. So what will you ask for? Jesus, give me a stronger faith to trust in your love for me. Jesus, give me a stronger faith to receive God's forgiveness. Jesus, fill my heart with hope in that 
in that promise of heaven. Give me certainty that that is my home. Jesus, give me joy and the desire and the strength to serve my Savior. Brothers and sisters, you can serve Him by serving one another and serving others. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. We can make this bold request. Jesus, help me to love and serve others as you have loved and served me. Or maybe you can pray this way too. Father, I'm going to ask you for something, and I know you're going to say yes. And yes, he will. Our Heavenly Father cannot wait to answer your bold and faith-filled requests. Ask Him to keep filling your heart and soul with His forgiveness and love so that you can forgive and love one another. Ask Him to keep feeding you with His body and blood, washing you with that promise in baptism, and strengthening you with His Word so that you can rejoice to share in His cup of sufferings. Ask Him to keep drawing you closer and closer to Him so that you can serve faithfully in his kingdom. Come to your Lord Jesus with these bold requests. He has promised to grant you and all believers in Christ that place of honor and glory in his kingdom, a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It is kept in heaven for you. Amen.